Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Nick Show, episode 42. I am Matthew Miranda, still sadly apart from Stacy Patton. But joined today by the man, the myth, the legend, aka Lavar Postel, aka the ghost of Kristaps past, aka staff writer at the Strickland, host of Pod Strickland at Strickland Pods. And this is maybe not the day to mention this co-host of at United underscore hour and the scourge of Tommy D's everywhere. You all know him simply as Schwinn. Schwinn, how are you on this fabulous August evening? Uh, I'm great, man. I uh, played basketball for a couple hours today. Had, uh, had a couple of beers. Maybe maybe a couple of drinks after. It's great. feel great. I'm, I'm, I'm in full podcast mode here. What was your beer of choice tonight? Uh, it's always the same, baby. We're always doing Budweiser. We're in America. Come on. <laughs> there, there, no part of that answer was I expected. And also, um, what is Schwinn's? If I go down to the Y and Schwinn is playing, what what do I expect from his game? What are the scouts going to tell me about Schwinn on the floor? Oh, I'm I'm a floor spacer. I'm I'm a floor spacer. Uh, I am sneakily good at rebounding because I'm good at boxing out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm liking this. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm. I think I'm. I'm pretty good on defense, even though I'm not very athletic or tall or strong. Mostly because I just am like, okay, ninety percent of people that play pickup are only good with their strong hand. So mm-hmm. I just stand on their strong hand. I'm like, you can go left all day. I'll give you left all day, but you are mm-hmm. not going to your right. And I know this. Because I can't do anything going to my left. <laughs> <laughs> For most people, that's a big problem. <laughs> Walt Frazier would be very proud of you because that is definitely one of his keys, man. He can't stand that shit. I'm really good at seeing the ball and seeing my man. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Tri- trivia, and then we'll get into some next stuff. Um, I mentioned at the top, this is episode 42. Schwinn, there are two Knicks that have worn the number 42 for four seasons. That's the longest that any Nick has worn the number. Do you have any idea who these two Knicks are? I am going to be honest with you. So every time I listen to this pod, you do this with Stacey. Right? You ask me yeah. a question about jersey numbers. I literally never remember anybody's jersey number. Like, really? Like the only numbers, yeah, like the only numbers I remember are like, Ewing, right, 33. Houston, I remember because it was H2O, right? That was yes, his nickname. Yes, yes. H2O. So I, get, I remember that. Uh, I have, I, I honestly, I have no idea what Latrell Sprewell's number is. No clue. No, okay. like, no fucking idea. I have no idea what Camby's number is. LJ, Oakley, Starks. I got, I remember Mellow because it's like seven. It's easy to remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have no idea what Amari is. I have no clue what Tyson oh, Chandler wow. is. I I don't care about jersey numbers. So I'm probably gonna get this horrifically wrong, but I'm almost positive I know one of this one of this one of the persons. Is one of the people Lance Thomas? Surprisingly enough, Lance Thomas is one of the two Knicks to have worn 42 for four seasons. Okay. I have I am not 
very confident about the second one. And I don't think he played for the next four years. But I am going to guess Charles Smith. So Charles Smith was three, four, five. He was there, I think, four years, three and a half, four years. Um, but he did not wear 42. Um, David Lee. Uh, yes. yeah, this is interesting to me. This is like two. I, I find your your response really interesting because I have a like a thing with numbers that I can't like forget a lot of times. Like <laughs> if I see a truck when I'm driving, I'll remember the phone number on the truck like a week later for no reason. But yeah, I've heard you and I've re- I, I've heard you on pods. Like you astonish me because you will remember a trade the Knicks made in 2008. And you'll remember, like, each of the second-round picks and who they turned <laughs> into. The bargains are their significance. But numbers, you're like, I have no idea. Um, no, it's just jersey numbers, though. And, and very okay, okay. specifically, very specifically, it's like with basketball and football, I, I just don't – I don't know. The numbers, like, they never mean anything to me. Um, like, I mm. just got – I got a I, – I haven't gotten a Bills jersey, so I've, I have not gotten a Bills jersey since 2000 when I got an Eric Mills jersey. That's the last time I bought a Bills jersey. Okay, <laughs> I so I finally no. So I finally got another Bills jersey. I got a I got a Josh Allen jersey, and only because of that do I know that he's number 17. I would not have been able to tell you that he's number 17 before that, even though like. I literally, <laughs> I and, and not not just the quote. Like I basically, like hero worship him. Like he mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. you know, he is he is like what I wanted Frank to be. He's like what I pretend <laughs> Frank is. <laughs> oh my god! Do you remember Jim Kelly's number? Did you follow the Bills when Jim Kelly was there? Oh yeah, yeah. But he was like what? He was eleven. Twelve. I and I only know that because I, I was living in West – I grew up in Western New York at the time, and just like with Flutie, like if you are now, – and now with Josh Allen, the, the deli I go to literally has a shrine behind the counter of Josh <laughs> of, of, of um, Josh Allen, like but weird-ass products that he sells, like Josh Allen hot sauce, like <laughs> yeah. Josh Allen tampons, like everything. It is so, 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 so bizarre. I want um, you to um, – I really need you to buy me – Josh Allen tampons, by the way. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I'm telling you if, you, if you can imagine it, they sell it here with Josh Allen's face on it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, 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 I had the Flutie Flakes. I had the Flutie Flakes going. Right? Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Josh Allen had the cereal. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. It can't top Flutie Flakes. You know? Flutie Flakes. No, man. They were not Flutie bad. Flakes. That, that was like, you know what Flutie, Flutie thing is? I, this is crazy. I love where this basketball podcast is headed about the Knicks. <laughs> um, the, the, but the Flutie thing, actually, maybe this is, I'm going to help you segue, right? The f- right. Flutie is like, he was like a full season's worth of insanity. That's good what call. that was. Like, yeah, that call. was, because they started that year, right? So they signed Rob Johnson in free agency that year. He was he like, looked like a headline. He yeah, looked he like, was like the their, perfect quarterback. Yeah, he was like their headline. Like this was the successor to Jim Kelly. All this shit, and obviously, mm-hmm. then, then they take a flyer on Flutie as the number two guy. 
But they started that year 0-3. They started the year 0-3. Rob Johnson gets hurt like midway through the fourth game. And then they just go on this run. They make the make it to the playoffs. And then they play the Titans and we don't talk about that game. I was living in Buffalo at the time. And I'm not a Bills fan, but living in Buffalo, like I kind of rooted for them because they were the local team. And Doug Flutie was a little – he was somehow a little known and liked because of his success in the CFL. Um, right, right. But, man, that guy was a god when he came in. You're a Giants guy, right? Giants and Jets, yeah. Um, I don't follow it as closely as I used to, and they don't really do anything to inspire me to change that. But uh, I was Giants and Jets both. So I was there when Norwood missed a field goal. Um, and I was going to go. It was, you know, the next – I was in seventh grade – I could not wait because I got so much shit talking from my whole school about that game. <laughs> now I'm ready to go back and serve it in everyone's face. And I got like the fucking flu and couldn't go to school for like four days. And when I got back, everyone's like, dude, that shit was like a week ago. Nobody cares. And I felt so deprived. And I never got to rub that in their faces. Um, speaking of, don't deprive yourself of the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your sports contests and events. Bet online is the first to market odds and lines to all of those competitions, find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, the NBA, the NHL, combat sports, eSports, and, if you don't like sports, even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code Believe 50, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Where we are going to start, Schwinn, is with a, um, I want to jump off of something that you tweeted earlier today, and it's, I promise you that it is not to pick on Man United, that's not, that's actually not the purpose, it happens to be just a side effect. Um, (laughs) I have have an idea of where this is going, but yes. You tweeted earlier about ownership and kind of, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say you were defending the players, but you were making kind of the case that the biggest problem facing Man United is ownership. It's not It's not that the roster or the coach is, is the biggest issue. I think you were saying that like behind all the problems in the roster is something larger that has to do with the they, ownership. Am I, am I right in that? They, they are a consequence of ownership. Yes, uh, okay. They, so like... We can sit – like I can sit here and talk about all of the various myriad issues with the team in terms of the player personnel or the coaching and all these things. Um, but what you have ultimately is a team or a squad, however you want to phrase it, squad being the uh, very yes. – Proper English term to use. Um, On the pitch, you say squad. Yes, yes. Uh, But what you have ultimately is like a team that I don't think they're anywhere near as bad as they have looked recently, but they are bereft of confidence, of belief, and that is ultimately all stemming from the decisions that ownership has pushed and allowed to fester and happen. And, you know, 
accepting mediocrity because they don't want to bite the proverbial bullet in terms of finances. Um, so, like, basically, you have this super proud sporting institution that was the standard. I I don't care. I mean, I know I'm not in friendly waters here, uh, but there will never be another club or manager or whatever that did what they did. Like right. from 1992 mm-hmm. to 2013, they mm-hmm. are basically, there will never, like they won, I think 13 of 20 league titles in that time period. That is unheard of in any mm-hmm. sport, any professional sport. Um, that is basically like the only other comparison would be the Celtics in like the fucking, you know, 18, yeah. 1800s. Um, <laughs> but like, and even then, that's not even close to comparable because there were eight teams in that league, right? Like, it's just not the same. And yeah, I mean, that it's, it's taking it from what it was and to what it is now where it exists as like, yes, it's this major, huge sporting institution, this massive brand, but that's all it is. It's not a great team. It's not stri- it's not even striving for greatness. And that ultimately is like what you see when you watch them out. There's no striving for greatness. And I always like to compare it to uh, a club like Chelsea, who even with forget the ownership change, because the ownership change is whatever. And we're not talking about Roman Abramovich's you know, uh, morals as a human being. But like, they fired managers all the time, right? Like, like, I I don't subscribe to the idea that you can't win unless you have stability with your coaching or whatever, right? What I think is true, though, is that the reason coaches, Chelsea coaches, were fired constantly is if you do not deliver, you get fired. If you do not win, you get fired. And that type of mentality permeates through to the players. And Mm -hmm. because of that, even through all of the various, and they've had crazy ups and downs. You know, Chelsea's had crazy ups and downs. But even through all that, they always find a way to win trophies because that mentality is being pushed through from the top where it's like, if you aren't good enough to get the job done, we will fucking buy somebody better than you, and replace you. So you have to fucking win, or else we move on. And that goes for players, coaches, assistants, fucking training staff, whatever. That permeates through the club. United are just completely complacent. They have not done that at any level, from the players, to the coaches, to the training staff, to the board, to the recruitment. All of it is just so complacent. And ultimately, that is on ownership. I'm confident then to say that you are at the moment more confident in James Dolan's ownership of the Knicks than the Glazers' ownership of United. Are we sure James Dolan's a bad owner anymore? Yeah. So this is what I want to get into with you. I think that um, I I wrote a piece about this a little while ago. I've been you know yeah, it's great. It's great piece by the way. Thank you. I've been hard on him forever, but. Um, it is there is a there is a vantage point by which you could conclude that 
post Phil Jackson, um, I think especially post Phil Jackson, that Dolan has finally found. See, because I remember late in the Jackson era, Dolan was was very openly frustrated, which was rare for him to talk about it, because he was talking about the fact that he used to get crap from the fans for getting involved with the team. And then when Phil Jackson was like openly going to war with Carmelo and, you know, daring to talk about training Porzingis and drafting in Lakina, um, and there was a lot of, of, of distraught reaction from the fans, then Dolan's like, well, now people want me to get involved. Like, you know, what, what do you want me to do? Which one is it? And I feel like there really hasn't been any talk in a long time around the Knicks of James Dolan interfering with anything, James Dolan messing up, you know, a move, James Dolan impeding on on the front office's anything. So it's odd it's 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 odd in a vacuum to say like the Knicks are clearly a better owned team than Manchester United. Is it weird for you? Like when when did you when did you were you down on Dolan in the past? And if so, was what was the point where that turned for you? Or have I just always been harder on him than you have been? Um, so Dolan's a little bit complicated because I don't really, like, I know this is crazy to say, in terms of just, like, the basketball side of things, I haven't really ever had a massive problem with him. I think his meddling has been overstated. Uh, I think his biggest issue was trusting not hiring the right people. He has not hired and trusted the right people in the front office. And I don't know when shit changed, but I feel like progressively from probably when they fired Grunwald until mm. Leon Rose, it progressively, like, he's been getting closer and closer and closer. Like, mm. Mills, or sorry, Phil was, like, the right idea, wrong guy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted to, like, right idea. You wanted somebody who had a clear basketball philosophy, who could build something, and wrong guy. Just too old, could not, did not have the time to figure out the, the fucking, or maybe he wasn't motivated to figure out the, the nuances of building out a franchise, which is completely different from just being the coach, right? All time great coach, in my opinion, the greatest coach of all time a terrible executive, right? Proven terrible executive. Then he hires Mills, who, and to Mills's credit, like, I think Mills had also learned from his first time on the job, where, like, he was like, okay, clearly I cannot just keep trading draft picks. I can't just sign long-term salaries constantly. Like, he started, like, you could sense, like, the Knicks understood the game under Mills, or it was like, okay, let's clear cap space. Let's not sign long-term contracts to guys that aren't very good. I know he did the Tim Hardaway Jr. thing, but other than that, they didn't sign any long-term contracts under Mills, basically, right? Um, So, like, he understood, like, okay, we're in New York. Keeping our cap clean is attractive. And keep our draft picks because you're supposed to keep draft picks. Like, this is a good way to develop young talent and potentially then you have assets to trade. Like, he understood, like, the very, very basic things he just had no vision of like okay how do i turn raw cap space and draft picks and young talent how do i create a team now like how how do i build out a roster 
had no idea and picked the worst co- fucking coach. Like, <laughs> I, I genuinely think if they if he picks a different coach, maybe things turn out differently for him because I think Fisdale was just absolutely so incompetent. Um, I, mean, I think Fisdale was hired to do a job that he didn't get. He was hired to, like, be KD's yes man, and that's not and, what he got. And even if he got KD, I just I think he would have still been terrible. Like he was the, the fact that like we went well, we were four and twenty-two with four and eighteen. Right. Like, Twenty-two games with him. And then we went 17-27 after that with Mike Miller as that coach. Who like whatever you want to say about Mike Miller, he was just like at a very bare minimum level, he was just like, Okay, I'm gonna use the players we have better. That was it. Yep. It was not like some rocket science fucking next level thing he was doing. He's like, okay, I'll just use these guys better. So yeah. I, I think there's a world where like if they just forget it, they just hired Mike Miller. Maybe there's a world where they hire Mike Miller as that coach and Mills is still here with a job or whatever the fuck it is. Whatever. Mills gets canned. Leon comes in. Leon, I think, is by far and away the best executive the Knicks have had under Dolan. Um, he understands the value of draft picks. I think he understands the value of developing and having young talent. That's seen both in terms of how he's built the draft out and in terms of like, you know, they have they've they have spent a lot of Dolan's money in uncapped areas in the league, right? So with player personnel, or not player personnel, sorry, but that's like with building out your analytics department, building out your training, building out your scouting, all these things. He spent his money in wise ways. So the point is, like, I with the basketball stuff, I just think Dolan had a – and it was too long. It was the, – the 2000s, like, that entire decade is inexcusable. Like, just absolute inexcusable. And that is on Dolan. Like, he, he cannot escape that. That is on him. He was a horrific owner during that decade. I really feel like the, the Carmelo trade is probably the last moment where you're like – this is all Dolan, and I don't want to get into the specifics of. I don't. I really don't want to debate the Carmelo Anthony trade for the seven thousandth time of my life. Um, but like, but like, it was. That. Yeah, but but it was it was it was a move that everybody knew at the time was an overpay, and not because the value was wrong for Melo. It was because of. The, his contract status, the fact that the Knicks could have just signed him outright in that summer, right? Yeah. And it was obvious Dolan made, pushed for that to happen, and I kind of get why he did it. Because Walsh is sitting there for two years. The NBA puts Walsh in charge, by the way, right? Like, they force Walsh on Dolan. And for two years, Donnie's sitting there clearing cap space. He traded out multiple firsts to do this, by the way, which I never want anybody to forget how shitty of a GM Donnie Walsh was. Um, he trades out multiple firsts to do this, and he's telling Dolan the entire time, right? Like, we're gonna get LeBron, we're gonna get LeBron and Wade, we're gonna get LeBron and Wade, we're gonna get we're gonna get LeBron for sure and somebody else, right? right. One of these seven thousand other stars. He doesn't land LeBron, so he signs Amari. So for two years, you've been selling the owner on we're gonna get like two stars. And so if you're Dolan, you're like, fuck this, we can get Melo right now, go get me Melo right now. I, don't, I I actually, I understand it, even though it was a wrong decision. But the point is, like, I think really since then, he's been mostly okay. The Bargnani thing is weird. I really That's a little iffy. I, I don't really, know how much he had to do with that. I feel like he wanted 
them to get Bargnani because of CAA reasons. But I also think he clearly knew that trading what they did for him was insane. Um, Because he immediately reacts, right, by like demoting, essentially firing um, Grunwald and bringing Mills back into the fold or whatever. Right, right. But, but like, I just think that the basketball operation side, at least since 2013, he's getting, he's been getting closer and closer and closer. The Knicks don't trade their first round picks anymore. Like, there's signs of like, okay, he's kind of getting it. Yeah. Where I think the Dolan stuff is tough, and I think you touched on this in a piece. I know you've talked about this extensively before. Is you can't escape the Anuka Brown Sanders thing, right? Like that, that is a fucking thing that happened that was terrible it, it, there's there's really no way around that like that was a terrible thing that occurred and they were found liable right and dolan pays that money out of pocket now do i think dolan is a bad person i mean probably he's a billionaire i'll say yes of. and the reason i'll say yeah. yes relating to sanders like the Sanders thing is bad enough. It's it's awful beyond words. It was terrible. The fact that after that, he has never he has consistently maintained yeah. that though he paid the money, no one did anything wrong, and trying to bring Isaiah back mm-hmm. after that with the liberty, right? That that shows not just like maybe you're ignorant of your problem, but that you're straight up like fuck you. About. Yeah, he doesn't care. He, he the thing that like the biggest thing with Dolan is like he's the type of guy where if you tell him this thing you did is bad and you can't do it again, he'll be like, "Oh, really? You want to bet?" Like, yeah. like so, like I don't think he's a good person, but I also think at the same time, like the lens he gets examined by, especially since like I think now he's become like a non. He signs checks now, basically, is how I view it. Like, yeah. I don't see him as, like, a guy that's meddling. So as far as he's signing checks, and Dolan has always been great about signing checks, um, just ask Isaiah Thomas. Uh, but, like, <laughs> like, like, I I think the lens he gets examined by now is just so stupid. Like, is Dol- like if, if the Glazers got to the point that Dolan is at now, I would cease to start. I would not be calling them the problem with with the club, and it's a totally different sport. Where like, if you if they got to the level Dolan is at in what is essentially an uncapped sport, yeah, we wouldn't yeah. be having this discussion. Like, they would still be great. They'd probably win a bunch of fucking titles and whatever leagues, champions, leagues, whatever the fuck it is. But like, they're not. They are. They are worse than Dolan is worst, as far as I'm concerned. Because Dolan is worst. Whatever his flaws were, the man signed checks. He always, always, always signed checks. He had no problem doing it. He spent way beyond what should ever be spent on a miserable 23-win team in 2006-2007 season. Um, like, one of the worst Knicks teams I've ever watched in my life. Just soul-sucking bad. And that was hard. He, he paid he paid like a hundred million in luxury tax back then, which is crazy. Like I don't know, how, I don't even know what that is adjusted for inflation or anything. But like the money he was spending in the two thousands for what was easily like, if not the worst team in the NBA, just the most embarrassing oh, yeah. team in the NBA, was absurd. That would be like paying what Golden State just paid last year to be the <laughs> seventh worst team in the league or something. That's basically what he was doing. The height of it, I remember uh, this in like oh six or oh seven. 
they were over the cap and the penalty at the time was dollar for dollar. And they were over the cap, but they were able to sign Jerome James and Jared Jeffries to like what was a, a mid-level five years, yep. 30 million. So it was actually yep. five years, 60 million for Jerome James and Jared Jeffries, who were oh, not even God. like the stars of the team. He was just like, all right, you want these guys on your bench? Here. And the Jerome James thing was insane because what they did is they signed Jerome James, right? After he has like basically one good playoff series. He had a good his week. contract. First, yeah. yep. And and then two months later, what happens? They trade for fucking Eddie Curry and give him a five-year, $60 million contract, which yeah. at that time was bananas. And they gave up two first-round picks. It was just an insane thing, but it was like, you just yeah. spent, you just threw like basically a hundred million dollars for two guys who cannot play together. Like even in two thousand and seven or whatever, when the league did not understand the value of the three point shot and floor spacing, even then you could yep. not play two, those two guys together. So it was, I mean, that entire thing. But yeah, I mean, to, the, to your question, like ultimately, like I think, I think Dolan is at least. We can debate the timeline. At the very least, now I think he's completely fine as an owner. Like he is, he he lets he seems to have finally hired somebody who's competent. He's happy to sign checks and stay the fuck out of the way. Um, you know, like that's normal owner stuff that he's doing now. And I I think. If there is one issue you want to bring up with them, and I think this it, it, it can be fair. I mean, Dolan definitely still likes to have a certain like there are people in the organization who have been there forever. Like there are. You just go to their fucking page. There are people that have been there forever. So he he's always gonna like to have some of like his dudes in there, right? Um, but like I feel like that's probably not that. Like, is that even abnormal? I feel like most people in positions of power want to have a few people within whatever they're managing to be loyalists to them, right? Like, guys they know, like, hey, keep your ear to the ground. Let me know what the fuck is going on. If shit gets bad, let me know. If shit's good, great. We're good. That's just a general human instinct. Everybody, even if you you don't have that, you want it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me take it down a notch from Dolan to the head coach. <coughs> Tom Thibodeau, two years ago, coach of the year. Last year, very much not. Are you <laughs> right now gunning your head? At the end of game 82, the Knicks go into their offseason. Are they looking for a new coach, or is Thibodeau still around? Because not many coaches for a while have made it through three full seasons here. He's on the verge of it, but his first – he's like Randall to me. His last two years are so random from each other, so bizarre the opposite that I, I – I defended Thibodeau much of last season, but I don't – a year ago I felt much like I knew to my I had – Was that? Much to my chagrin, Matthew. <laughs> I saw the light eventually. Um, I don't know now going into this year who or what I'm dealing with in Tom Thibodeau. And I don't know if I want him around – like. A year ago, I would have said, yep, this is the guy who's going to break the streak. He has a Riley-esque quality of, like, having stabilized the organization. And now, a year later, like, I don't think he's going to play Obi Top in 20 minutes a game. I don't know what to make of this person. 
Um, Tibbs is interesting. Uh, I know people, many people will be shocked by this. I actually like Tibbs. Like, I like him. I think he's... The person or the coach? Maybe both to a degree. His coaching is really weird. I think, like, he gets labeled as a very, like, a traditionalist. I don't even think that's accurate. He's just, like, he's a very unique coach with how absolutely steadfast and stubborn he is in what he thinks is right. Like, even for quote-unquote traditionalist coaches, he is very unique in that sense. Um, But, like, I like, I, I think defensively, He's really good. Like I, 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 we have enough evidence now that whatever issues were going on in Minnesota probably had a lot more to do with the player personnel at his disposal versus his scheme becoming outdated or whatever. Um, I wish he was a little bit more flexible, but like defensively, he's really good. Offensively, he's very unimaginative. His offenses, they're a lot like. Then this is not a compliment, so I hope nobody thinks this way. But like his offenses are a lot of just like what I saw from Jeff Van Gundy when he was on the Knicks, where it's just like, yeah, we'll just get you know the three best guys in the team the ball a bunch and yeah, <laughs> we'll just make sure it happen. Like it's not creative, it's not imaginative. Basically, he's just figured out like okay, but we have to like space out to the three. That's like the one thing Tim has figured. Like all right, yeah, yeah, we'll space the floor. But like it's very unimaginative, uncreative offense. It's all about getting your best guy the ball and putting him in some type of situation where you can create an a 1v1 that he can attack. That's mm-hmm. it. That is the sum of his offensive creativity. I honestly hate that though. Like you don't you don't go from where the Knicks were to a championship contender in one go. Right, like mm-hmm. it's just it's not what happens. So if Tibbs is the bridge, if he's the first coach before the the real coach, that he's fine. Like I, I don't have really a problem with that. Um, and I just and I do like Tibbs's personality. I think it is valuable to have somebody who is so it is so obvious that losing drives him nuts like it is so obvious there there is no complacency with him he is trying to win every fucking game and i think in a team look we've talked about the dolan stuff i think you would agree with this that through much of the dolan era there has been a political nature to a lot of stuff that goes on and there are people within the organization operating in their own Mm self-interest rather than focused on winning and trying to win as many basketball games as possible. And I think Tibbs, uh, and I want to shout out at Hug Life on Twitter, who actually tweeted this to me when we hired Tibbs, uh, but it was like, there is no acceptance for like, it is okay to lose. It is okay to not be the best we can be. There's no acceptance of that with Tibbs. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't manifest in him being the best coach ever, but I think it does drive like there is a sense of every single game we are trying to win. And I do think there's value in that. I am mm-hmm. never going to be one of these people who believes that you can like tank for three years and then magically after those three years, you just walk into like 70 win seasons or something like I, I'm, I'm very okay with Tibbs' approach as a coach. 
what becomes tricky for me though is like he clearly he's a lot he reminds me a lot of Mike Woodson actually and I know that's funny because Mike Woodson was you talked about his offense I thought of Woodson where it's just like get your best player in a advantageous one-on-one but with Woodson I felt like that was his end of game that was his only end of game strategy they actually did maybe a little more sometimes during the game oh yeah no Woodson definitely took a lot out of uh, D'Antoni's book um, he just didn't play as fast, but a lot of their sets were really cool. Um, but like when I say he reminds me of Woodson, I don't even mean that. I'll tell you specifically what I mean. Why did the Knicks go 18 and 6 when Woodson took over? And why did they have a magical 54 win year in 2012-2013? Was it because Mike Woodson nailed every single rotation decision and perfectly managed lineups? No. They did it because Amari Stoudemire was injured and Carmelo Anthony had to play the floor. That was like 90% of their success. And and Woodson, if you look at the team, especially in 2012-13, if you look at their season, their worst stretches were when they were the most healthy. Yep. yep. And their yep. best stretches were when they were shorthanded. And Tibbs is very... Reminiscent of that to me because when he was shorthanded last year or when Randall was out and when he had to do things he wasn't, he didn't normally do, mm-hmm. that's when I thought he was at his best. Like, I thought he showed a lot. And that is, like, encouraging to me. But you can't depend – like, you can't coach-proof a roster. It is not possible to do that. If you like, if he cannot independently arrive at the right decisions, that's a problem. And what I mean by that is like, if you cannot find it in your heart to figure out how to, to even attempt to find out how Obi and Randall can play together, that's a problem. If you cannot find it in your heart to just start Emmanuel quickly when he so obviously should have been starting at the end of the year. That is a problem. If you can, if you are playing Alec fucking Burks more minutes in the month of March than Giannis Antetokounmpo, that is a fucking problem. Like, like these, he he's so. I don't. It's it's like he's so sure that he is right that he will not even countenance the alternatives. He just won't do it. And like the cam stuff was so fucking stupid. Where he was acting like it was like, it was like presented as this huge crisis. Like, oh my God, the Knicks added Cam Reddish and the rotation is already so clogged. How on earth could I ever find minutes for this guy? And you're like, this, like you, you can't have it both ways. You cannot sit here and bitch about the lack of talent on the team and then by the same token, turn around and bitch that the front office decided to make a move to add somebody they perceive as a talent worth having on the roster. Like, that is such obviously two-faced bullshit. And what I'll say about Tibbs is for as much of the things that I like about him are, are great, but like, this is his third head coaching stop. He has been very, very, very leaky to the press in the past two. 
And he certainly was very leaky to the press this past year, if you use your brain. I mean, the stuff from Berman, where he was calling, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, Obi has one highlight dunk, and everybody misses the nine other plays. He does the nine of ten bad plays he makes. And I'm just like, and then and then at the end of the season, Berman's like, oh, yeah, you know, Tibbs realized he really fucked up with Obi and IQ. And I'm like, okay, so you clearly were getting that sh- – the shit you said about Obi previously, that's mm-hmm. clearly coming from Tibbs. And now mm-hmm. you're delivering Tibbs' message of like, oh, Mia culpa – Fuck it. I didn't I now Obi is my favorite son. Like, you know, he's he is fucking, you know, I don't know I don't know Abel and Kane, but he's the good one. Uh and Reynolds the bad one. Abel's the good one. Kane's the bad one. But it's like it it's just bullshit. Like I, I like that stuff to me, like if you're Tibbs and you know this and to be fair, like look, we I think we both love Van Gundy. Van Gundy was no saint with that shit either. You know, like no. people love to People love to go back to like the, oh, the 99. In 99, that, that got ugly in large part because Van Gundy decided to to make it ugly. Van Gundy was excellent at playing the Joe Everyman working class, and the fans loved him for it. And I think he did come from that back. You know, he what, did what, was his car? what was his car that he drove? That he, it was like, it the, like, a, like the beat-up uh, Civic or something? Yeah, yeah. I think it was a Honda Civic. Um mm-hmm. And I think one of the Jets, like, blew his plane over one day. <laughs> I don't remember reading that. But, like, Van Gundy had as much drama, if not more, than even Riley did in his time there. Van Gundy was not at all above playing against Grunfeld, against Dolan, against the players. He was anti-Spreewell when he got him. He was anti-Camby. He had no problem leaking shit, saying it himself. I mean, you hear him as a broadcaster. Like, he's not reserved. Um, and he was not well, one of the New York either. And no, and, and to your point about the Spreeball and Canby stuff, like that's so like there there's such like both Van Gundy and Tibbs are so interesting to me because they will approach players with like these preconce these preconceived notions about them. And it takes a really it, it's very hard for a player to to win them over, but if a player does win them over, then they will like die for that player. Mm-hmm. Like Van Gundy would literally die for Spreewell now. Yep. He would he die for he loved like, him. Yeah, he, yeah, he loved him. And and he I think he's even said that like some of the stuff with him, the way he used Camby, it actually had nothing to do with like like he knew Camby gave him a better shot to win, but it was about him's you know, they're he's keeping score with the front office, right? So it was like a very political thing mm-hmm. that was going on there. And I think with Tibbs, like I think Tibbs is really the same way where it's like, like I genuinely believe. Like we heard, all, like there was that entire story, right, from your own Whiteman uh, last year, where it was like, it was kind of like the first look in we had of his front office. But in that story, he talks about how, like, when Tibbs comes in, he's like, "All right, let's trade RJ, let's trade Mitch, and let's get like, you know, Marcus Morris and all these vets, and let's try and do all this shit." <gasps> Absolutely, they don't do that, and he he had questions about Mitch's professionalism and RJ's seriousness or whatever and Randall too and now like he literally anytime he's asked for RJ he just sings his praises right and he no question about it he is the reason Mitch is still on the next I think I think he is his biggest proponent and if 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 it was just left up to the front office Mitch 
in my opinion, would not have gotten a new contract with the Knicks, or he would have traded well before this. <laughs> um, but Tibbs loves him now. And because of that, he is a Nick. And so, like, I that that is just really interesting to me because and that's why like the stuff with Reddish, people are like, oh well, Reddish won't get a chance. Reddish won't get. I'm like, I don't care what Tibbs thinks of Cam Reddish right now. If I'm the front office and I believe in Cam Reddish as a talent, then I'm keeping him because I figure at some point in the season we'll have some injuries and Reddish will have to get minutes. And if Reddish does the things that Tibbs wants him to do in those minutes, guess what's going to happen? He will love Cam Reddish. Yep. He will immediately love him, and it will become this. He oh, gotta Cam love what Cam brings to the table. Verse, he will love him. Like this is this is what Tibbs is. He does not. He will not give somebody the benefit of the doubt if he doesn't believe in them. But if he gives them a chance, if he has to give them a chance, and then they take it, then he becomes like their number one fan. And it's like you know, it's like a fucking, it's just a crazy relationship for him and that's that's exactly how Van Gundy was you know we, like we just, mm-hmm. like we just talked about with Spreewell and Canby it was you know people forget that but like that was a huge talking point throughout most of that season where it was like why the fuck aren't we playing these guys more and the only reason was like Van Gundy was just like well you know, I don't really <laughs> want Grunwald I don't want Grunwald to have this one so so there's two things that I'm, I, I can't these mysteries with Thibodeau and the Knicks that I can't figure out one is He's obviously has a, a prior relationship with Theon Rose. I think they're they're more than your average like level of closeness between uh, a president and a coach. I wouldn't think the Knicks would bring in Cam Reddish without Thibodeau's like being on board with it. So I don't understand how their front office trades to bring in this young talented player. And I never understood the argument of I it drove me nuts hearing people going on and on about like well. You know, the, the roster is so deep. Where is he going to play? You're a fucking <laughs> losing team. You're a losing team. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, if your house is all built together, but it's, it's falling apart, it doesn't matter that you have a structure. Like, you can't live there. They're a losing team. I'm hearing about how they're so talented. So I don't understand how the reddish thing is a mystery to me. And also, there was a story latish in the season about Thibodeau would hold practice after practice with like, or before practice, I think with just the young guys. Yep. Yep. And it was this, uh, I don't remember who wrote it, but it was like this, everything was positive. The young guys are gushing about Thibodeau. Thibodeau's gushing about them. I didn't hear, like you don't hear leaks, anti-Tibbs leaks, but I don't think young players on their first contract really are going to feel the political power to do that anyway, anonymously or publicly. But on the one hand, Thibodeau clearly saw what these, these players could do He's taking time to work with them independently. It seems like you're doing this to nurture. And then, unless Julius Randle falls like out of an airplane, Obi's not going to play. How do you go from working with them directly and knowing, like, wow, like, look at what we have brewing? Game time. All right, you guys sit down. I can't wrap my head around <clears throat> the thinking that goes into either decision. He's not insane. He must have a reason. I don't, I can't have any idea what it is. Um, all right, so you just dropped a lot on me there. Uh, the reddish thing, I don't think it's that complicated. I think they effectively, I mean, all the reporting suggests that it was a, that was a scouting related trade. So like the scouting and, you know, the player personnel 
advanced scout, all that kind of shit. Mm. Those guys liked Cam. Um, and Tibbs apparently was not a fan. And I think Leon was just like, well, I don't really care. We're making this trade. Um, I, I, I don't think it's any more complex than that. And that's fine with me. Like, co- the front offices, yes, you should care about what your coach wants. But if you can get a talent for effectively, like, a bargain mm-hmm. price, like they did, they got Cam for, if you really believe in that talent, then you should do it, even if your coach isn't on board with that trade. Um, look, he wasn't playing Kevin Knox, so who cares? And that Charlotte pick, I mean, as weird as it sounds now, like, that shit might not even convey. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, they... They took, they took a trade. Uh, what they traded to get that Charlotte pick, they did not get good, enough value for it. I think they viewed Cam as a potentially better value that maybe they can recoup more value for down the line than that pick. So they make that trade. I don't think it's that complicated. Um, I don't know what this all says about like the team or, or tips or the front office. Um, I think it's okay for organizations to not be on the same page in, in terms of stuff like that. What I don't get is like, I mean, I just think the framing of it was so weird where it was like, oh, Tibbs is, it was just always framed as like Tibbs is so against this thing. And I'm like, okay, it's fine for Tibbs to be against this thing, but like the job and like this is this is always my thing is like your job as a coach is to coach is to be the best coach you can be mm-hmm. okay like you can have your opinions on players and whatever but ultimately like you take a roster you get and you try to win as many basketball games as you possibly can that's the job and that's why I like like I never understood the the Fisdale defenses of like oh well he came and he thought he was going to be coaching KD and another superstar and instead he has to coach, you know, like Marcus Morris. And, and I'm like, okay, look, like I understand this is not the job he probably signed up for, but like it's the job he has now. So crying about like what hasn't happened instead of focusing on like, well, maybe the guy that's 4-18 and 18, after the team spent $70 million in free agency signing guys, whatever you think about them, that are like all legitimate NBA players. That's a really big problem. Like that, that says something about him as a coach and it's not a good thing. It's that he fucking sucks. Um, and I don't think T- Tibbs doesn't suck. He's not yeah. a terrible coach. He, he's, he's a flawed coach, which, you know, mm-hmm. most coaches are flawed, but like his flaw, his, he's very, it's like his flaws are so glaring because he just sticks to them. Like it's great. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I, I don't think the front office, I, I don't the reddish episode to me is more of like it it shows a definite split in the mindset of the front office and the coach but like ultimately that one to me is one where the coach has to just adjust and instead of doing that Tibbs is largely just a gigantic asshole about it although he was playing him more um before Where he got hurt. hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I genuinely think that, like, I, I it's really annoying he got hurt. I, I really think he was... He was starting to look good. 
yeah, yeah. I think he was really putting together a nice stretch. But uh, mm-hmm. look, I, I hope they keep Cam. I've been pretty open about this. I think he's like a profile that the Knicks do not have on the roster other than him. And mm-hmm. I already think we're pretty short on wing talent as it is. You know, the Knicks have like what RJ Fournier. Reddish Grimes as their wings. That that's it. They don't have other wings. So like, mm-hmm. I think Reddish is super intriguing. Um, his length, his athleticism, the way he kind of moves with the ball in his hands is very unique on this roster. And also like he's a potential small ball for candidate. So he just gives them a lot of options that I don't think anybody else on the team really provides. So um, I, I hope they keep him. I, I saw enough from him in his time in New York that like I'm intrigued. I, I would. I want to see what the project can yield moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll close by asking you a basketball point, not Nick-related, but it was another, I thought, very interesting tweet of yours the other day. Um, you tweeted asking who was the better player all time, Kobe or Tim Duncan. And before I clicked to see the results, I was I was getting annoyed because I was like, before I even saw what people thought, I was like, you know, Tim Duncan's like so much better than people remember, and like Kobe's louder, and like, I'm expecting that it was going to be like 65% Kobe, 35% Duncan. You got over a thousand votes in this poll, and Duncan ended up getting 53 and a half to Kobe's 46 and a half. First of all, were you surprised that that's the result that that you got? Um, not especially. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the Kobe loud, like the the Kobe stands. Standom of Kobe, um, the kingdom of Kobe Sands, however you want to phrase it. They're very loud, uh, but I don't think they're actually a majority. Uh, so I'm not that surprised by it. Like, I think. Are there Tim Duncan stands? I would imagine there are. <laughs> they all live in San Antonio. They're very um, quiet, like he is. Very quiet, very respectful. Um, but, like, I think. For the most part, you know, look, there's a reason why when you do, when you see all-time lists, right, most all-time lists, right, the, the majority of them, you have, like, Duncan and Kobe, they're usually in the same range, right? They're usually hanging out in the same range. Shaq is usually in that range, too. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that makes sense. That, that, that makes sense to me, and I'm fine with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised by, like, the vote being a relative split skewed a bit more to Duncan. Yeah. Who would you vote for? I would vote Duncan. Uh, yeah. I I think Duncan was a better player. I think his peak was really, really great. I think his 2003... <laughs> I mean, their, their 2003 finals run is like... It's one of the, the great playoff runs for a player leading a team to a championship. Uh, he was phenomenal in that finals. His game six in that finals, the closeout game, is an all-time performance. Just complete. It's like he almost had a quadruple-double, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Just just a great player. I, I, I think people put way too much – I think people have credited Greg Popovich's system way too much. I, I like – I think Parker is awesome. I think Ginobili is awesome. I don't think those mm-hmm. guys are – anywhere near the type of like typical second or third banana level talent that most yeah agreed teams have or 
especially multiple time champs have. Uh, and I just think that he, I think Duncan's like the fact, I don't think he ever won, but he never won defensive of the year, which is ridiculous because those Spurs teams were like, he was effectively anchoring elite defenses every mm-hmm. single year of his career. He had a hall of fame career as a power forward and he had a hall of fame career as a center. Like mm-hmm. I, he, he's an incredible, incredible player. I don't, if, if, if you wanted to put Kobe ahead of Duncan, I really wouldn't have a problem with it. I actually think it's kind of funny because I was like not a big Kobe fan during his career. But mm-hmm. since he retired, uh, and even before he passed away, I, I felt that the conversation around him had gotten really fucking stupid. And I think it was like a backlash to the insane Kobe stands was really annoying analytics people trying to like diminish Kobe's career, which I found incredibly insulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is one of the all-time great scorers in the history of the NBA as far as I'm concerned. I think there is something to be said of the fact that he was able to form championship combinations with multiple big men, uh, that he played a style of basketball that allowed those players to be the best versions of Very themselves. different players too. Yeah, and, and I think, like, I want to be very clear about this. I think LeBron is clearly better than Kobe. I think he's the second best player of all time. But what my what I want to say is I think it's – Pau Gasol is not the Pau Gasol we saw with L.A. if he plays with LeBron. And that's not a knock on LeBron. It's just that, like, LeBron mm-hmm. demands a very specific roster construction and how you – play to his strengths, which is worth it because LeBron is fucking amazing. And as you yeah. play to his strengths, you'll probably win a championship. <laughs> but like Kobe had a he's a more skilled basketball player than LeBron. I know that sounds absurd to a lot of people, but like his ability to score and operate in areas of the floor at high usage that LeBron is not anywhere near as comfortable operating out of mm-hmm. means that you can use Kobe in ways that you cannot use LeBron. And I think that allows that allowed Kobe to form these partnerships with these big guys. Um, that is just it was deadly, you know. Like mm-hmm. Kobe, Powell, Odom. I mean, those three guys closed so many playoff games and were dominant. You know, they were they went to three straight finals from '09 to 2011. Um, you know, they won two, obviously. I mean, that, that was a team that like, Odom was ahead of his time. He was just, he, he would be so much better in the game today just because I think there wouldn't be, nobody would care that he's a tweener, right? Like, that was such a big thing with Odom throughout his career. Like, oh, he's a tweener. He's not quite a three, but he's not quite a four. And it's just like, if he played now, nobody would care. Everyone would be like, yeah, yeah just fucking get that guy minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think, I just think Kobe became underrated almost in a way because. Like, yeah, he, he's not super analytics friendly. He did take a lot of stupid shots. But, like, you know, again, we've gotten to this weird place when we discuss players where it's like, like, rings culture is a thing. Yeah. But yeah. also yeah. dismissing rings is really stupid to me. Like, mm-hmm. the ultimate goal of the fucking sport is to win championships. And every great player, I don't care what they, like, they measure themselves with that shit. Yeah, like, like, there's a reason 
LeBron, LeBron said it, right? Like he won a championship and he's like, he like when he went to the All-Star game the next year, he felt like he finally belonged, right? In that in that room with all the all-time, all-time yeah, greats. Yeah, yeah. Because he had that hardware now. Like that's a real thing. You know, like Kevin Durant went to Golden State for a reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. We don't need to pretend that he was some basketball savant who went there to like experience Nirvana as a basketball. No, he went there to win championships. Yeah, Yeah, he went there to win championships. Like, these guys care about winning championships. So, for me to dismiss, like, I think this, like, like, oh, Kobe played with Shaq. Okay. He played with Shaq. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this knowledge. Like, (laughs) great players play with other great players. That's usually how you win championships. Oscar Robertson is not lessened in people's eyes because he didn't win a ring until he joined up with Lou Alcindor. I don't know why Kobe gets that shit about Shaq. Yeah, and and it's like it's like if your point is like Shaq was better on those teams, that's fine. But like I promise you, as somebody who despised Kobe at that time, especially, Mm -hmm. like he was a terrifying player to play against. Like he was he was at that time the discussion was basically like everybody knew who the three best players in the NBA were. You just Everybody, you just ranked them in different ways, right? It was yep. literally it was Shaq, Kobe, Duncan. Yep. That was it. There was those are the three best players in the league. And sometimes some losers would come in and be like, "Well, actually, if you look at Kevin, if you look at Kevin Garnett's warp, it's pretty crazy." Like, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't care what Kevin Garnett did. Kevin Garnett is he was a great player. He's nowhere near those guys. He's not on that he's level. Not, yeah, no. he, he's not. And and like I so like I, I like the, that that entire conversation is so interesting to me because. Fans of Duncan will swear, swear he was miles ahead of Kobe, and Kobe stands will swear he was like he he was literally as good as Michael Jordan and way better than Duncan, and it's like neither is true, Mm -hmm. like you know like they they were really they're both all time great players like Mm -hmm. for me they're both in my top ten as well as Shaq and like you can rank them in whatever order you want to rank them. To me, like I, I have no. Pr- if somebody tells me I got Kobe ahead of Duncan, I'm like, great, have a great mm-hmm. day. Like that's mm-hmm. not like some insulting opinion to me. I get it. Like I think Kobe was awesome, uh, you know. But like at the same token, if you say I have Shaq over both them or I have Duncan over the other two, like I th- those three can just go in in any order to me, and it's it's just not a big deal. I just think they're like, you know, uh, I, I I'm a Duncan. I think Duncan was the best. Um, Shaq should have been the best. Yes. <laughs> he should have been. At his <laughs> best he was, but... <laughs> he just yeah. didn't care for long enough. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, I just I just think those guys are just... They, they were such great players. Uh, and they came in... They, they, they effectively bridged us into the modern era that we have today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Duncan, especially, of those three, like, his evolution as a player... So interesting, you know. Like again, yeah. like he literally had a Hall of Fame. He's like considered the greatest power forward of all time, but he also transitioned from like basically from like two thousand six, two thousand five, two thousand six on. He became way more of a full time five, mm-hmm. and he basically had a Hall of Fame career there too. So it's just like mm-hmm. very interesting to see how those guys evolved. And I, I Kobe's really interesting because the only time he really got to play with like quote unquote in a modern system, modern spacing, was with Dan Tony in 2012-13. Um, but obviously he ruptures his Achilles at the end of that year and he's really never the same guy again. Yeah. Uh, but he if you look at his numbers that year, he had like a career 
high efficiency year. So he was astonishing year, the last month or two that year, just like dragging uh, them to the playoffs. He was um, amazing. Was, yeah, he was amazing. Um, and it's just like I, it's like really interesting to think of like what those guys would be if they played in the league today. Because I think if they played in the league today, Duncan is for sure like a five throughout. Like they, you know what I mean? Like there's. There's no power forward part of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kobe, it would be really interesting to see, like, because, you know, we just look at how the, the league is now. If Kobe's in the league now, you know that he's getting a l- way more, like, on-ball reps at the top of the key just mm-hmm. as a primary ball handler type of thing. I wonder how he'd do. You know, like, I, I, I mm-hmm. it would just be so awesome to see those guys in the modern league. And I, I think both of them would still be great. Like, I really have no question about that. And I think there's an argument that, like, Kobe with modern spacing, like who I don't know, man. Like I, yeah. the 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 shot chucker Kobe stuff really takes away from. I think people sometimes forget how athletic he was, um, especially in his younger days. He was like, you know, he was a guy that could get up there and yam in traffic. So um, it'd be it'd be really interesting to see both those guys play today. So that 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 ball was mostly just to do with, you know, it's a, it's August. Yeah, we got to get through this fucking month until we get real basketball stuff to talk about again. I've been struck a lot uh, recently for some pieces that I've done about how quickly <coughs> and completely great top-flight older players have been forgotten. Like, when you talk to people now about even, like, a GOAT conversation, like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird are not – they're not even in the they're, – they're accepted as, like, nah, not those guys. And if you actually go back and, like, look at what they did – in their time, like it's a stunt, like Magic Johnson's, whose career and birds ended prematurely because of very different physical issues, like was a, it has an astonishing resume. And I was just thinking about, you know, how it always strikes me that Shaq, it's odd to me that Shaq has become, I think, underrated because if he were alive at the time when Shaq came into the league, it is impossible to think of that force ever being underrated. And when you mentioned Kobe and like the critique that I think, especially now, the analytic people drive about, well, you know, if you compare his field goal percentage to Jordan or LeBron, like he's nowhere near those guys. There's a line in Amadeus, um, if anyone has seen the movie, where Amadeus has his first, uh, Mozart has his first like uh, opera. It, it, it plays, and afterwards, it gets a big response from the audience, and the emperor comes up to see Mozart. And the emperor, like, he wants to compliment him, and he does. He tells him, like, oh, you've shown us something quite new. But then the emperor's like, but, you know, there were just, there were just, it just had a few too many notes. And Mozart's like, what? And the emperor's like, it, it just, it was really good. It just had a few, just cut a few, and it'll be perfect. And Mozart says, which notes would you like me to cut? And then luckily, something interrupts Mozart, probably getting arrested. <laughs> but when you talk about Kobe, if you, I think this is probably true for every great player. If you watched him play, Iverson is a lesser version of this, much lesser. But, like, it wasn't about – Kobe's game was not about, let me find the most efficient – like, even I have have to scale it down. Like, what's the most – he wasn't about that. Um, The thing I admired the most about Kobe is is I think he had – he wasn't quite as physically gifted as LeBron. And he wasn't Jordan before Jordan. He was after. And I think I think people hold those things against him. But, like, Kobe to me is always this mythologically appealing as a person who took on impossible tasks repeatedly and did not always pull them off, but, like, he wanted it. 
And he did things no one has done. He did things LeBron couldn't do. He did things Jordan never did. Like, I remember texting my friend one day, the night of the 81-point game, I texted my friend just 81 with an exclamation point. And to show you what the time was like, he thought it was in re- he thought Terrell Owens must have done something stupid and was trying to figure out like what the 81 was in reference to. It's still, when you watch that game, unimaginable. And you don't get to score 81 points in a game if you are someone who is like, well, let me be efficient. Like, let me sure and only take my three. Like, you don't get that if you don't get the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I... So I actually did the recap um, for Posting and Toasting the day that Kobe passed away. The Knicks played the Nets that day. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I just, like, he... I didn't really realize what Kobe meant to me as a basketball fan. And, like, you know, when you get older, you kind of realize how much, like, the reason you care about sports is inextricably tied to, like, your personal life mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and just shit you're going through. Um but like his career spanned my life. Like he, he was he entered the league in what ninety six. Ninety six. I was nine years old, mm. right? Like so, basically, my entire, the vast majority of my mem, like the the life of of my life that I remember, had Kobe Bryant in the NBA, it had Tim Duncan in the NBA, right? Like, but Kobe, Kobe is like, like Kobe is just a more memorable player than Tim Duncan, if we're being real, right? Like he just is mm-hmm. because with the nature of his game and you know i i, I talked about I, I i just pulled up this this recap um but like i'll just read what i said i remember him throwing Shaq the lob to clinch game seven of the western conference 2000 western conference finals against portland i remember him mailing it in in the second half of game seven yes. in the 2006 first round series in phoenix i remember him dropping 81 I remember him going berserk in Phoenix in Game 6 of the 2010 Western Conference Finals to clinch a finals berth. I remember him tearing his Achilles and calmly joining the free throws. I remember him dialing up everything he had left to drop 60 in his final game and leaves with one final magical moment. Um, And, like, those are just things I literally came up with off the top of my head. You know, like, his career is so rich. And it's so... There's... I think the best thing about his career is, like, it's not a Jordan career. Like Jordan's career is like this, like insane upward trajectory. That's just like it's the Hollywood started. arc. You know, he starts yeah, at the it's, bottom. It's, it's it's literally like there there will never like so much of like to me Jordan is like by far the best player ever, uh, and so much of it is also just because like his career like any almost like every like other than Bill Russell everybody would trade their career for Michael Jordan's. Right? Like literally everybody would be like, yeah, I'll take that. I'll do what he did. That was that seems pretty awesome. Um, but Kobe's <laughs> is so interesting because it's like there are these there's so many ups and downs, right? Like he comes in, he is this phenomenon. Then he, you know, he becomes hated because he's this Chuck who has like you know he had four air, air balls in that game in Utah, right in the playoffs. And then they win championships with him and him and Shaq, and he is the greatest. And then he has. Obviously, um, everything that happened, it, it, the, everything that happened with his case in Colorado, uh, and but then also just in terms of basketball, the Lakers decline. They 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 trade away Shaq, and they become like a very thoroughly mediocre first round exit type of team in the Western Conference for three or four or five years in the middle in the middle of his prime, really. 
And then they get Pau, and now he's competing for championships again. And they win more championships, and then they decline again. And then he, like, there's just so much in his career, and it's like this up and down thing. And he was flawed, you know, like he wasn't. He like the, the the mail like I will never forget watching the second half of that game seven against Phoenix where he's just like yep yeah yep, yep. I'll never forget it it was just like one of the most bizarre it things bizarre. Where it was bizarre just, it, it was it was literally a player just being like okay well you don't want me to shoot the ball that much cool I won't mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. you go this is what happens this is what happens when I don't shoot the ball that much um, mm-hmm. but it's like it's like the fact that he had the balls to do that is so crazy to me where he's just yeah. like. Yeah, fuck it, I don't give. Like I know we're gonna lose if I do this, but you know how good you have to do. How good you have to be to do what he did, and the team's response is like, "Okay, we'll get better players." <laughs> yeah, no, it's and it's like I just, I just really respect. Like, I really loved the old man stage of his career post Achilles, where like every time you put a mic in his face, he would just say like the most raw so shit you could so possibly salty. say. Remember they? Do you remember they? They asked him something about like. I remember the Lakers, they won some game when Jeremy Lin got there. They beat somebody, I forget who it was. Oh my god. Jeremy yeah. Lin and like these two other guys, I forgot who were maybe Nick Young and somebody else. Bush Park. No, no, not Bush Parker. Someone else. It was like it, they're giving this like giddy post-game interview. Yeah. And I asked Kobe about it. And he's just like, he's just like so angry. He's like, Chat Yeah, you know, these fucking guys, they don't know what they've been through. And I remember the one time I remember after I'll never forget they draft they draft Julius Randle, funny enough. Uh, but they asked like they asked Kobe if he told Julius anything. And I'll never forget. He was just like he's like, Yeah, I told him not to fuck this up. Like this is Lakers. Don't fuck this up. And I was just like, I'll never forget that. I just like one of the funniest things. But I yeah, like I, I just I really came to appreciate like, you know, as a basketball player anyway, just like Everything his his career was a tapestry, and it was mm-hmm. so rich. And I think in some ways it's like one of the great and most memorable sports careers because it wasn't just perfect. Because he was flawed. Because he was not the perfect player, and because he divided opinion so much. But like you know, I just think there's so many, and I I, I really like I I can understand Kobe's stands. More than I understand the people that like feel obligated to diminish his career. Like I really don't get that. I'm just like, what? What do you get out of this? What? What, yeah. are, you, what are you possibly getting out of this? I I can understand celebrating. You know, I can I can understand even if I disagree with it. Yeah. I can understand that part of it. I just can't understand like, you know, especially when his career was winding down or when he was retired. Where it's like you're still sitting here diminishing this guy's career. Like, like look, I I. I love a good LeBron joke as much as anybody, but like <laughs> he's the second best player of all time, you know, like, like, yeah, you can make fun of Kobe, but like, at least just, just it's give me a hint. Yeah. Just yeah. like, just give me a hint that you like, you understand he's still <laughs> unquestionably great. Like, I just need to know that. And then you can continue. Doing it. Right. But yeah. I mean, Kobe's just, uh, you know, like, again, I, I'm more of a Duncan. I think Duncan was better, but like, you know, do I want to have extended conversations about Tim Duncan? Not really. Yeah, we did not. We did not talk as long about Duncan as we did about Kobe. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, and who would, right? Like, it just Kobe's uh-huh. just such a. He was. He's an. He's one of the all-time showmen too. You know, like really had a sense of the moment. Um, 
you know, okay. like even in his later years, right? I remember when he they came to the Garden during Lynn Sanity, and yeah. you know, look, they 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 lost, but Kobe put on a fucking show. You know, he was like, look, I understand this is insanity, but like, I am Kobe Bryant, and mm-hmm. you are just Jeremy Lin, and mm-hmm. that's just how things are. Mm-hmm. That was a sweet night. Yeah, it was. That was a sweet night. Yeah, that was a sweet yeah. night. So when the people need to know what you're up to and where they can find you when when they're out in the world and it's getting cold and lonely, where <laughs> where where can the people find you? What are you up to? Uh, I'm not up to much, man. I, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Schwinnipoo. Uh, you can hopefully follow and subscribe to the Strickland, uh, via Patreon if you want, uh, at least subscribe to the podcast that is pod Strickland. Uh, I also have a solo pod Strickland roll that I do. Um, I'm kind of taking like this week off, I think. Not doing a pod tomorrow. No, you're the only pod I'm doing this week, Matthew. Uh, So collector's item, nice. Yeah, there you go. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, it's just it's August. There's not much to discuss. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully, Donovan Mitchell gets traded soon or doesn't get traded soon. I'd be Mm -hmm. fine. I just would like to have some closure on that so I don't have to think about you know six thousand different variations of how to acquire Donovan Mitchell every day. Um, but yeah, you, you can follow me in all those places and, you know, uh, definitely subscribe to the web, to, to the pod and read all the stuff on the website. Matthew also writes on the website. Um, he's a wonderful writer. So, uh, Matthew, thanks. So thank you so much for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. I told you my pleasure, my honor. Um, Stacy is still on his Carmen San Diego tour, so he will not be here <laughs> next time, but we will have another guest. Um, when that comes, keep a look out on our Twitter page, Believe Nicks, to see who will be next. Uh, remember also, the Believe Nicks show is presented by Bet Online. It's also presented by me because I'm the one who records it and mixes it and publishes it. So if you're going to give them your money, I'm thinking about shooting some my way too. That is it for this episode, everybody. Peace. We will see you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.